Today's reading is John thirteen thirty one to 38 When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, for the cock crows, you will disown me three times. As uh, those of you who come here regularly will know, we've been working our way through John's Gospel. And right at the beginning, I said John gives clues as to who Jesus really is. And he's built the story up until this point where uh, today really is the kind of pivot point in the story. We've heard Jesus say a couple of times that that the time was not right for him to act and to do anything. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Greeks came to him and said, why don't we want to speak to you? And he said, ah, now my time has come. Then last week, uh, we saw that Judas decided to betray Jesus. And it's so easy just to read that and go, Jesus, you know, was there and Judas was there and Judas went away. Now, John doesn't say Judas went away. What he says is, he went out into the darkness. And it, it would be easy just to, to kind of read that down. So what? But actually, there's a real image there because he went into the darkness, John saying, because he was filled with darkness. Satan had entered him. He, he was filled with darkness. He was, he had made this choice to betray Jesus. And so darkness is going to darkness. Easy to miss. And yet a really powerful image, just in those few words. But then as the door shuts, we get our verses today, and it's like, oh, the door shut, everybody's in, they're all safe and secure. Oh. But then there comes a sense of excitement over these next chapters. But I don't know if you noticed, John has missed out something Really important. I mean, really important. What has he missed out in the story? Have you picked it up? I'll give you a clue. There's no, there's no communion story in John's gospel. There's no bread and wine story. Now, we take all of the stuff that we do here today from the Bible, from the stories and the gospels, So why on earth has John, who was Jesus' best friend, why has he not got this bit in his story? Well, I think it's because 
The stories were not written as they appear in the order in the New Testament. You know, Matthew didn't start his first. Mark was the first gospel. And Matthew and Luke copied from Mark. They used it as a, uh, as, as a hint to keep them right. So Acts didn't then just appear and all the others appeared in the order. They, they were all at different times to different places. And John's gospel was written between 40 and 60 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he actually says at the end of his gospel, there were so many things I could have put in here. In fact, there wasn't enough paper and ink to write down all of the stuff we could have done and said about Jesus. But I've written these things so that anybody who reads my story will have enough to trust Jesus and to believe that he is God's son. 40 to 60 years after, communion is well established. I mean, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, guys, you know, you're getting this wrong. In fact, what you're doing is a disaster. It's a disgrace. Here's what you should do. It's a well-established practice. So John, in his writing, trying to say this is who Jesus is, it seems, assumes that he doesn't need to mention communion because everybody knows, and they're all doing it anyway. His purpose is to show what it means in relation to who Jesus is. And so he's more concerned with explaining Jesus than that circumstance. In the room, you could imagine Jesus going, come on, come here, come here, come closer. There's so much that I want to tell you. Things that he, he couldn't or wouldn't say until Judas was gone. And this next section is sometimes known as the farewell disclosures. And from this point on, John explains that Jesus spoke to them of, of going away, but that, that they wouldn't be able to follow him. He tells them about heaven and how to get there. Promises the Holy Spirit. He talks about the need to be grafted into God. He tells them that they're going to be persecuted. That is going to happen. And he gives them a mission to the world. And then he ends up with an amazing prayer in chapter 17 before then switching back to them going out to Gethsemane. And these are things that none of the others have. And without John's version of the story, we wouldn't have any of these things. These chapters are full of comfort and challenge and hope. Full of the kind of deep relationship that Jesus longs to have with each of his followers. Full of deep theological insight explaining who God is and what he's doing in the world and in us. This is only the second time that Jesus has talked about the Son of Man being glorified. The first was when the Greeks came. Before this he's spoken about God being glorified through him. And about the Son of Man being lifted up. Now he puts the two together. And if you go back into the Old Testament, which I think we should now and again, back to Daniel's story. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, it says this. In my vision at night, I looked 
And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. For John, the person that Daniel saw in that dream was Jesus. Jesus coming one day on the clouds from God. And the whole scene will be that moment of God's ultimate glory and victory. When God, the true God, will be revealed. And the dark forces that have been arrayed against him and his people will be destroyed forever. So Jesus is glorified through his death. But because of his death, God is also glorified. The Father received glory from Jesus and gives glory to Jesus. So in verse 32, he says, if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Those words in himself can mean in God or in heaven. They can also mean in Christ, whichever it is. Jesus is speaking about his death and resurrection. Seems he's also overwhelmed that he's going to have to leave his disciples behind. It's only been a few years and you know, as we've read the story, we realize how little they actually understand about what's going on. They, they just don't, they just don't get it. And of course, it's easy for us to be critical of them. But if someone told us, you know, he was going to be lifted up, or they were going away somewhere that we couldn't go with them, or, you know, he was going to his dad, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to be heading for crucifixion. I mean, let's be honest, dead people don't usually go on to build a kingdom. So, so you can understand why they didn't get it. They still have to go through all of that process of it becoming real. And the next three chapters are where Jesus makes promises to them and helps them to prepare them for what is going to come. Promises about Holy Spirit coming to guide them, just as Jesus had done. And we believe that Holy Spirit still guides his people today. But before all that, he offers them the clearest, but probably the hardest command to follow. Love one another. Jesus describes it as a new commandment. But actually, again, if you go back into the Old Testament to Leviticus 19, uh, verse 18, what you get there is, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So in John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. And what makes it new is as I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So it's not that they haven't heard it before. It's not that the words are radically different. But, but it's that mode of love that's different. In the way that I have loved you, you have to love other people. How has Jesus loved us? Well, he gave everything. He was willing to sacrifice himself. But even before that, he left heaven. He gave up his place in heaven, his by right, and was born on earth. I mean, I find that so difficult to get my head around. How does God (laughs) get born? I mean, it's like, how does that even happen? But that's what he chose to do. He chose to limit himself to human form because he loved you and he loved me. Of course, it's been hard for the disciples to understand really what Jesus had been doing on their behalf. And now he's saying, copy me. You do what I've been doing. As with the foot washing a couple of weeks ago, they're to look at his whole life. Everything he said, everything he did. And they're to find in it a pattern, a shape, an example, an authority that they can take for themselves and live out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Love is really about the other person. That's why as an amazing display of love, Jesus was willing to wash their feet. Love naturally overflows into service and love is the badge that the Christian community wears before a watching world. But as we read verse 35, we surely should cringe and shame at the way professing Christians have treated each other down the years. We have turned the gospel into a weapon of our own various subcultures. We have literally burned each other at the stake for it. We've defined one another so tightly that it's come to mean love the people who are like you, who keep the same rules and the same standards and sing the same songs. I've got a picture. Oh, there we go. Now, I understand that you can't really see that terribly well. But if you look at the bottom, there is the third line from the bottom. Starts on the left-hand side and goes to the right. That's the Church of Scotland. The bottom line is the Catholic Church. Because guess what? There was a time when they were together. And then there was a time that they were not. All of the other stuff, well, the second line is the Scottish uh, Episcopal Church, but all of the other stuff, all the squiggly lines and the other bits above, are when Presbyterians fell out. Hmm? I mean, that's the truth of the matter. We simply cannot get on with anybody else. We can't even get on with ourselves. Hmm? All of that there. And some of them go and then come back. But it's a, it's a history of falling out so badly that we go and form another denomination. And if you think that's all in the past, let me tell you, 
The year 2000 is up on that. The year 2000, we were still not doing what Jesus says to love each other. Because that was when the last Presbyterian denomination came about. It's not ancient history. It's your history and my history. And it's sad. What's supposed to happen is that people see our love for each other and are drawn to our fellowship. They want to become part of the body of Christ. And when they see our love for each other, they'll understand the depth of the love that Jesus has for them because they see it and experience it from us. Our love for each other, for all of our brothers and sisters locally, should be a testimony to the love of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone has told you something significant, but you miss it and go back to some earlier point in the conversation. It happens to me all the time because I'm often not really listening. But that's what Peter does here. Jesus says, love one another. Love one another. Go on. And Peter goes, uh, Lord, where are you going? It's like, ah, he's gone back. Jesus says, I'm, I'm going away and you can't and you, and you come. But love one another. And it's not that bit that gets Peter. It's, I'm going away. Where are you going? Jesus and Peter talk away. And Peter, with his usual bluster, says, Oh, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. You know, what a stinging reply. Will you really? I mean, that's not what you want to hear Jesus say, is it? Really? You think so? Peter's forgotten what Jesus said about the shepherd and the sheep. Peter's gone it the wrong way around entirely. It's Jesus who lays down his life for Peter and for us. I love Peter. I think lots of people love Peter because we understand, you know, he's always putting his foot in it. He's always saying something stupid. And we get that, at least I do. And yet we see Jesus being gentle with him. Even with the sadness and the challenge that comes from Peter, Jesus is patient. And so we see again how in the purposes of God, love and betrayal, glory and denial, so closely are, are linked and intertwined. In a moment or two, we're going to remind ourselves of what Jesus did. Although it's not in this uh, particular reading today. Because it is important. It's a reminder of how much he loved us. And how much we are expected to love him in return.